welcome to episode three of What Are You Doing? Today I'm interviewing my lovely aunt, Aunt Barb, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what she's doing and how she got to where she is right now. So Aunt Barb, what, what are you doing? Well, at this point, I'm in a sense at the other end of whatever part of my journey I'm on because I'm retired now. So what I'm doing right now is enjoying retirement after a long and very, very busy career. So what did you do for your career? So I was a teacher for the biggest part of my career. I've pretty much always been in education and I taught both at the elementary level and at the high school level. And then I was an administrator, a principal at the middle school and elementary level. So I've sort of done it all in education, not really even having expected that I would go into education initially. So what did you, yeah, <laughs> what did you initially think you were going to get into? Well, because I was a Bachelor of Music um, student and I loved music, I loved singing and I loved the vocal part of it. And I was accepted in a Master's of Voice program, uh, fully expecting that I would in some way do something with music, hopefully performing but having absolutely no intention of teaching music at a school level mm -hmm. whatsoever. That was not at all what I had in mind. And it's just sort of funny how life's little paths sort of meander and get you in a different sort of place. But I had taken a year off after my Bachelor of Music and deferred my Master's of Voice uh, simply because my husband and I, your Uncle Rod, were, in a, were not in the town that my, I was accepted in terms of being my Master's of Voice. So I ended up being a teacher's aide mm. in a special education class. Oh, no and that's what started me on the path to decide I did want to be a teacher after all. So, you know, you turn, you, you're sort of in a holding pattern for a while, and then all of a sudden something happens, and now you're turning left. So Where, What town was it? Where did you go to school? So I did my Bachelor of Music in Kingston at Queen's. Mm -hmm. And I was accepted to Masters of Voice at Western in London. But at that point, my husband had uh, got a job in Toronto. So we were living in Scarborough oh, at that okay. point. So hence the decision that, you know, obviously to defer. And we weren't sure where we were going to land at that point. So, you know, I just decided to take the teaching aid job. And that sort of changed my course. I ended up really loving the school environment and I thought I would not. Yeah. yeah. So that's funny. And part of that was just because the people that, you know, life's random coincidences that you happen to be thrown together with in any given set, set of circumstances, they were really warm people. Like I felt like in a sense, I'd found my tribe when I was mm -hmm. with teaching people. Not that you can create a uniform impression of any one group, but there is something about teachers in generally that I recognize and they feel sort of close to my tribe whatever that means mm -hmm. probably because of my family situation and that warmth that I think of in terms of my childhood so and we'll speak on family situation yeah. and childhood and stuff so mm -hmm. thinking of that as your tribe what makes your tribe feel like teachers because you have had a fairly big family and yeah yeah well of course we did have a big family so in a sense I you know, that feeling that you always had someone around you from my early childhood, having had the six siblings, <laughs> myself the seventh, and I was third in that line. So, you know, well into the mix where there was lots of people on, on, on either side of me, really. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, there's just a general sense of openness and warmth that I would attribute to my family. 
And warmth can sometimes be, you know, loving warmth and sometimes heated or conflicted warmth. (laughs) Very fair. (laughs) But uh, certainly I would say that, you know, teachers are like that too. And again, not to create a type necessarily. Mm -hmm. And there's very introverted teachers as well, obviously. But as a group, you're thrown together in a set of circumstances. And if it's the sort of school, which actually I really enjoyed teaching at, where the the students were sometimes hard to serve and Mm -hmm. you could really pull together as a team or a family to sort of that sense that, oh, okay, we got through another day or okay, (laughs) we got through another week, right? Um, So I'm not really, I don't think putting my finger, finger on it exactly, but there was something about the teaching community that felt more like that family value thing than perhaps had I got into the business world. Right. Yeah, I my favorite mm. word ever is like community. I love that. Yeah. Like connection yeah. stuff. Yeah, there's definitely that. What was one of the what or what has been the challenge most challenging part about being a teacher? Um let me oh gosh, in a sense there's there's so much. I think because students are their needs are really so different. Mm-hmm. I would say you would have to be careful not getting what you need. So sometimes, and as a young teacher, as most young teachers are, you're getting so much self-esteem, so much back because the kids seem to Mm -hmm. like you, right? Right. And that's a normal human condition, particularly for a younger person. You, You feel so gunned because like, oh man, I'm in the right profession. Kids just love me, blah, 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 you know? And sometimes that sort of egocentrism can really alienate some of the students. So I, I guess what I'm saying, the hardest thing is to be what everyone in your class needs. Mm-hmm. And that is a very difficult thing. Because a huge chunk of your kids, the extroverted kids, are like, she's so much fun, she's so yeah. great, she's so passionate about this. But for some kids, you need to connect on a really different level on a one-to-one level, perhaps, and just understand that, you know, um, you you need to break it down sometimes and figure out exactly what everybody uh, needs so that everyone can feel like they're, they're included and successful. Sort of that, I mean, has been much talked about, that sense of universal design. What's best for some of the perhaps more harder to serve kids in your class works for everybody anyway. So, right. you know... It's getting rid of this mentality like that, um, well, this is the way I'm teaching and everybody better toe the line and step up to the where I am, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so that would be one journey I think that every teacher has to take to figure out how they can still be who they are and yet know that you're not um, leaving anyone out. Sort that of. recognition, did that mm-hmm. come with time as your career progressed because you started off kind of in that egocentric bubble of yep. I'm doing really well kind of thing and then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, I'm not reaching those kids like, how did you make that, that awareness? I think it's that process of self-reflection sometime. Mm-hmm. It's just, that I think there is, uh, you know, a gradual process of, you know, developing wisdom, as it were. There really is something about developing maturity, right? I mm-hmm. mean, in your 20s, you feel like you're so much more mature than you were when you were teens, and then mm-hmm. you realize how stupid you are until yeah. you're in your 30s. <laughs> and then when you're in your 40s, you go oh my God, I can't believe I really believed that. And so now in the fullness of time, here I am starting my 60s. And you you realize that really what 
maturity really means is understanding to a greater and greater degree that it's really not about you. So Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. So after you were a teacher's aide, you went straight into teaching at what university? Yes, I did. So I was a teacher's aide in Scarborough where we were living at that time. And by the you know, spring of that year, I realized, I think teaching's my next step. And so I applied. And at U of T, it's the only teacher's college I applied for because that's where we were living at the time. Mm-hmm. And it looked like uh, my husband was going to be, you know, staying at this job. So got accepted at, at then it was called Faculty of Education U of T, Foyt, mm-hmm. which is now OISE. But uh, so I would uh, take the TTC from East Scarborough down, down Toronto every day. And that's where I did my teacher's college, supply teaching in the Scarborough area. Right. Not supply teaching, rather, but student teaching. And you had a daughter at this time, or did Emma come? Much later. Much later? Okay. So that... So th- I was married when I was 21, so that was... Oh 19- my goodness, mm-hmm. I didn't realize so young. <laughs> I was, oh yes, very, very young. And so uh, right out of um, Queens, we were married in 1979. And then, uh, so, and I didn't have Emma until, uh, you know, I was uh, 29. So okay. in a sense, because I met when we were 19, we had 10 years mm-hmm. being just us, you yeah, know. Yeah. And of course, that was a really good time, you know, in a sense, because you really don't have that responsibility. Many years, really, it felt perhaps even too much like it was an extension of university, you know, but, you know, you get used to, you know, setting up your house and all the rest of it. Um, So, no, Teachers College and the first uh, seven years of my teaching career, more or less, where, uh, you know, we we were child, that's right, just dedicated to teaching and, you know, Rod and I doing what we wanted to do sort Mm -hmm. of things and, you know, partying with friends Mm -hmm. and sort of that phase. And then Emma came along. And, well, we had moved to Ottawa, of course, at that time as well. That's where I got my first permanent contract, uh, moved to Ottawa, and Rod's job, uh, there was a job opening in Ottawa. So, and I loved that first part of my teaching career, because that's really, although I'd uh, done long-term occasional contracts in Scarborough, it's really got my first permanent contract in Ottawa. And I was teaching music, both vocal and band, at uh, a school in Ottawa, and really loving that, mm-hmm. you know, really loving that. Um, and we didn't move until I was pregnant with Emma in 19... And, of course, I had Emma in 1987, so that's how that went. And she was born in, in Cambridge, and we lived in Cambridge at that point, but that's what took us back to the K, uh, to the Kitchener-Waterloo area, where we where I still am. Do you feel most settled there? Would you like to travel more? Um, in terms of a living place, feel very comfortable. Just, mm-hmm. I love Waterloo. Just yeah, totally, just... we love it because we walk everywhere. I mean, it's it's just great. Yeah. Um, but we travel all the time, all the time. And I absolutely love sort of where I am right now in terms of being retired and being able to go on these great trips. So we go to Europe at least, you know, once a year. And have I've had so much fun exploring mm-hmm. on this part of my life, which is great. Do you feel like it's been an adjustment trying to fill that time? Or do you stay busy and make sure you stick to a routine? Absolutely stick to a routine. Love that. Um, when I was still a principal, mm-hmm. I would get up early. So I'd always be up at 5 o'clock. I'd be at the gym, say, by 6. And I'd always do a class, a fitness class in the morning before going to work and that was my routine and I still love that early morning time absolutely love it I feel Mm -hmm. like it's my time it's precious no one's into my head you know 
So even though I'm retired now, I often still get up at five o'clock, but mm-hmm. I'll just be doing my own thing, sitting mm-hmm. by the computer. I like writing in the morning and doing stuff like that. But my husband and I will still go to the gym every single day, but not now till around nine in the morning, yeah. right? So we st- always spend two hours at the gym, let's say, and then come home. So that's just part of our regular routine. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back and have lunch together, and then the day sort of unwinds. And hey, sometimes that incorporates a nap into it. Yeah, <laughs> you need a little siesta. <laughs> It's good. Yeah. But it's funny, your listeners will think that the husband I'm talking about yeah. is still the husband I started yeah, with. And yeah. so just to um, you know, withdraw any conclusions they might be making, as you know, my husband, your Uncle Rye Dodd, uh, died uh, a little while ago, but we had separated before that. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how that part of my journey went as well. I find sometimes that my life has been things that I've said, you know, that will never happen to me. But yeah. of course they have, you know. I will never be a teacher, but I was passionate about my teaching career. Mm-hmm. I will never get a divorce. But mm-hmm. of course, that did happen, right? So in terms of, you know, younger listeners, maybe who are listening to now myself, which is an older woman, in a sense, I could say to all and time blue in the face, never say never. But it's very important that you say things like that. It's very important that you say as a younger person, that's never going to happen to me. I mean, after all, you have to decide what your core values are. And Mm -hmm. I think when you say something like, I will never do that, you're really asserting what your core values are. To me, a core value was, I honor my marriage and I think it's important to get through that marriage, right? right? Because that's what a partnership is going to be. But real life also means that you don't know what circumstances you're going to be up against. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay at some point to look back and say, I said that wasn't going to happen, but sure enough, you have to reevaluate. You have to reevaluate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, I do. Like, life is under construction all the time. And Did you find it hard, like, whenever you're faced with those kind of decisions or when you're, you, not your core values were threatened, but something that you had said never to, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you have to look at it again? Did you handle it with grace, or was it a moment of, like, panic, what do I do, and then move forward, or was it just kind of... Um, so when I think of those types of situations. Um, it depends, I guess, on how, uh, you know, critical that situation mm-hmm. seemed to you, right? Like, if it's a career decision, then it's okay to go, Mwah, oh well, mm-hmm. you know? But something re- really touches your heart, you know, or something that's really a part of what your life has been, mm-hmm. then I can only say sometimes you change course with deep grieving, like mm-hmm. deep, deep grieving. And, and you know, and, and that's okay too because that's got to be a part of life as well like this notion that somehow well notion I don't know who really has this notion but obviously you know I don't believe in any you know predetermined path or or anything like that and I'm not even sure what the use of the phrase you know um it was meant to happen means Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it was meant to happen means I think anyone with a positive outlook which I always have would look at what's happened to them in life and not even think of it what's happened to them. And it's just a, a series of it's random life. events. Yeah. It's just life. You go from this and that happens, so you go to mm-hmm. this. I, I don't feel like I was a worse person or a better person or that somehow circumstance in life needed to happen for me to learn mm-hmm. something. It's okay that we just look at what's happened in life and go, you know what, that's sort of random that things happen that mm-hmm. way. I mean, random in the sense that early decisions do lead to later decisions for sure but you you can't predict 
how everything in right. life's going to go. Sorry, I, I didn't tie that knot up very well. But you, it, it's not predetermined as much as life will happen, and you have to sort out what you can take from it after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. No, that's a good, good mm-hmm. point. So you have you mentioned you had a positive outlook, and you have a very, very sunny disposition, a lot of energy, and very mm-hmm. like. I, that's just me. Like, yeah. That's just you. You've <laughs> never had like. <clears throat> I don't know, not struggled with it, but you always feel like you just were born that way and kept at it. Yes, now that's an interesting... Yes, I think some people are certainly just born with a disposition. Mm-hmm. Not some, we're all born with a disposition. So I think, you know, we all have to go easy on ourselves because our brain chemistry is what it is. And right. some people's brain chemistry will uh, lean them to the glass half-empty Mm-hmm. side and some will lean them to the glass half full side. I feel that I've been extraordinarily fortunate with good balanced mental health and I think it's got me through an awful lot of difficult times. But I say that with no hubris as if, you know, aren't I great? It's it's mm-hmm. not it again, that's a random circumstances. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it's been easier for me to get through some things than it would have been for other people. Mm-hmm. And that is not to say that I do not feel grief as deeply as someone with a more depressed perhaps mental health profile but I am lucky with a bit of a bounce back resiliency which is fantastic and I think that's just something that I've always had but then you look at the nature nurture thing and somehow my role in my family was to be I don't know how this happened but I was the third one and you know sometimes my older sister your aunt Kathy had you know anxieties Mm -hmm. and all the rest of it and somehow I took on this role of being you know, the lightening of the mood, you know. And I remember my dad, your papa saying, oh, Barbie, you're always just a ray of sunshine. And, you know, and that sort of thing. Well, you take those characteristics on Mm -hmm. because, again, it's this theory of self-esteem. We're all going to do what we think we're good at. at. And so if I'm getting this great feedback from my dad and everyone, oh, look at that Barbie, what a beautiful smile she has. She's always Mm -hmm. smiling, la, la, la. Well, of course, I'm going to keep doing that. So there is an element of nurture in, uh, you know, nurture in that as well, mm-hmm. is that you're going to keep doing what you're getting good feedback on and what makes you feel good about yourself. So I think that part of it happened as well. You're also quite an accomplished athlete, and you've done, like, your main, I guess, sport right now is running, or what? Mm-hmm. I love running. There's, yeah. something, there's something so great that pushing yourself... Um, in terms of physical fitness can do for you mm-hmm. and I do get that great euphoria when you've had a great run um, and if th- this is the way I look at it too and the way when you go to the gym every single day is getting back to our discussion about what's your routine what's your daily routine but even if you accomplish nothing else in a day which when you're retired <laughs> sometimes <laughs> can happen you know fairly frequently even if you do nothing else when you've worked out, you've accomplished something yeah. that day. And you feel perfectly entitled just to having a relaxed day or sort of a do-nothing day. So I love that part of it. Do you find it hard or is that something you've always been like internally motivated to do? I'd say I've always been internally motivated to do. Again, going back to that sense that you keep doing what you're good at. I was always good at athletics. I was good at team sports. And so you will always want to keep doing something that somehow now you've created this profile of who you are. So 
early along, I got this great in, in, internal profile that I'm an athlete, I'm an mm-hmm. athlete, and you just carry those things through, right? So Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is one of the proudest achievements you've had in your life? So, um, in a sense, it's a predictable answer, but that's okay. I think I've been a great mom to my daughter. Mm-hmm. And so my daughter, Emma, uh, you know, is... I always say it's, she's been my best work, you know, and, uh, you know, and that I think I would probably point to, um, just because being a parent is really, really hard. Oh gosh, that's a whole other podcast for heaven's sake. (laughs) But honestly, it's a hard job because it's the same sort of thing, getting back to the teaching conversation. You're not ne- she, that your child's not necessarily your personality type, and you have to figure out how to give your child what they need, even though you're a different personality type from what they are. So hundred <laughs> percent, I find that funny because like yeah, I find yeah. I have a different personality than my mom. Yeah, and, like oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, and too, like yeah. the, having three sisters too, and like everyone yes. needs different things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. so tough. Yeah. And then, of course, there's personal uh, or there's, um, you know, professional goals. I've always felt very proud that I followed through and did all those extra courses that I needed to do at the most busy time of my life to get certified as a principal and then get a job as a principal. So I I feel proud about that. Um, You know, some teaching awards I got in the past and that sort of thing. There's all little Mm -hmm. things that, that you sort of collect and little feathers in your cap that you collect along the way and still some goals in life that I want to accomplish a few little checklist things that haven't happened do you have any you want to share well I'm you know I'm now on what chapter 25 of this novel that I'm writing <laughs> I want you're, to you're get a novel, a novel. Mm-hmm. yeah I want to get a novel done I love writing and I've written a lot over the years but smaller projects and you mm-hmm. know but I enjoy writing very much and, but it's a hard thing getting through an, a full project yeah. like, like a That's why like, I was like so impressed mm. with like just myself starting the podcast because I, I was saying I would do it for such a long time and it took yes. such a long time to follow through. Yeah. So do you have any advice on how to follow through or how to like stay accountable? Yeah. Well, I would say, um, you know, schedule time, even if you're only doing it for 15 minutes a day, schedule time to keep it going Mm -hmm. and so when what I talked about earlier when I get up so early and I have my coffee and my husband's still asleep Mm -hmm. and I've got my coffee in my head to myself that'll be a time where I sit down and sometimes because meanderings of plot can be very difficult to sort out sometimes and sometimes you think oh I don't really want to deal with this this morning Mm -hmm. but even if you just say I'll do 15 minutes and even if you start writing just a few words you often pretty much always work more than what you say you're going to do yeah and you do at least accomplish something so it's keeping th- you know it's never putting things totally on the back burner keeping things going even if it's a little dribble sometimes yeah that's my only recommendation I would say what is one of the greatest life lessons you can take from a, your childhood or like one of a, just a great mm. word of wisdom from papa or nanny or yeah. from your siblings Oh gosh, I think we all got so much from our mm-hmm. from our childhood. That was the thing, the amount of stories we'd have around the campfire oh, were the gosh. best. Were the Just best. so great. Yeah. Like in terms of life lessons, like Papa would be more, my dad would be more the type to say, Now Barbie, remember and you mm-hmm. know, he would tell us something. I would say, um, 
it sounds like, you know, it's such a big picture idea. But basically, I'd say the life lesson we took, not that they came out necessarily in, you know, Barbie remember-isms or mm-hmm. anything like that, but the modeling of mom and dad and the dynamic of our family basically emphasized the big message was you can't go too far wrong if you emphasize the lessons of love it's as simple as that yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. it's funny i want to eventually get all your siblings interviewed oh, yeah. at some point yeah <laughs> it'll be interesting like... to see how many people confirm yeah. that yeah wouldn't it be funny if one of my brothers said <laughs> you know well to be financially secure <laughs> <laughs> yeah because be... actually nanny and papa didn't give us very much lessons mm-hmm. on like here's the pragmatics of life be sure that you fill your taxes on time always save more than you spend la 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 like we didn't get those type how of how did you figure that out then cuz i feel like now it's painfully yeah. painfully i got to say you know again not to be critical but honestly i think i felt i was launched into the world without some support some basic pragmatic lessons well that's sometimes. what i'm wondering like just the difference between like millennially yeah. like now compared mm-hmm. to like you growing up like we're not spoon-fed things but we very much have access to so much support and it's like whether you use it or not but i mean even just the internet you can find anything online and yeah uh, you i can't imagine can. how difficult it could have been yeah no it's hard and i think when i think back i mean it's it's okay to be self-deprecating now because honestly, you, you have very little ego left when you're this age. But I, even when I started teaching, I'd been into teaching for a couple of years and you're just so stupid. Like I shouldn't say you are. I think millennials are much more worldly in a way, right? But I, but there's a certain naivete about, you know, millennials as well. Mm-hmm. But for myself, I just, I knew so little about some things of the world. So here's an example. Teachers were sitting around talking about, you know, oh, well, our union, blah, 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 blah. And I remember saying in the staff room, what do you mean? We're, we're, we're not part of a union. We didn't, you know, we, we, we don't have union a union. Fees. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we're not a union. We're a federation. <laughs> just stuff like that. You yeah. Know? Just... I didn't know too much about, you know, what really is the, you know, what, what does income tax really mean? mean? You yeah. know what I mean? Really basic fundamental stuff. But I was always, um, you know, a household organized person too, in a sense. You know what I mean? I certainly understood you know finances just from a basic math perspective and, yeah. and that sort of thing so you can't really go too far wrong on that but it's just mm-hmm. funny to think back and remember the stuff that you really didn't understand very well yeah fake it till you make it kind of yeah fake it till you make it yeah that's right that's right could you describe your perfect day ah <sighs> okay well I've, I talked earlier about how much I love traveling. Mm-hmm. And although I love my perfect life routine mm-hmm. in my sweet little house in Waterloo, walking around to uptown and doing all the things that I love to do right in my hometown, in a sense, my perfect day is when we're in a totally different country. And there's something so great about being perfectly anonymous in someone else's country. I love that feeling. Yeah. Particularly if it's within a culture that you warm to, like Italy, for example. But we love being in Paris, like, just for a week and being a part of someone's town where, because you're a tourist, and you're obviously a tourist, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have your maps, you're, you know, it's <laughs> a good question. But there's something that you even get to be, in a sense, more of yourself than you are in your own town. I just love the anonymity of travel. Yeah, yeah you I just don't care it. who sees you don't and stuff. Don't care yeah. who sees you. 
And because everything feels so fresh and new, I think there's always been a part of me that loves a break from routine, Mm -hmm. whereas some people get an awful lot of comfort in routine from day to day. And I too like my daily routines. But gosh, I've always been the sort of person who really likes a change, Mm -hmm. you know. Even back when I started teaching, I often, you know, threw out last year's stuff and started again. You know, I just like change. I really do. I didn't mind changing schools. Um, It's just nice to have change. So I'd say a perfect day is, you know, waking up in one of the great cities of Europe and um, having breakfast and having coffee outside and Mm -hmm. walking around and seeing some amazing work of art that... I studied in university, but had never seen up close. And then probably I'd cry a little because (laughs) it's so so overwhelming to see it. Like there I am in the academia seeing Michelangelo's David for the first time, like real. And I'm just freaking bawling. No. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. I did that at the, you know, Prada Museum in Madrid. Like I just, I just, you know, at the Louvre, you're looking at stuff that you've only seen in books and you've thought was just so beautiful. And then you're seeing it in person and you can't help crying because it's just so beautiful. I find your vulnerability to emotions quite inspiring. (laughs) No, it's quite, no, it takes a, I don't know, it takes courage (laughs) to be like that. But Papa was like that too, I thought. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Papa never minded showing he was overwhelmed. And his work of art, of course, was the beauty of family. Mm -hmm. And... And, and music sometimes, yeah, yeah. when he heard some some music. Um, but he absolutely was emotionally brave, I would say. Yeah, yeah. no, I... Uh, yeah, took a lot from that. Is there any piece of advice you can leave for the listeners in your years of wisdom and... Um, oh, gosh. You know, someone's asked a question like this, and one feels that they have to give an answer that is so wise, you know? Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if there's any other wisdom than just, you know, figure out who you are. And that just sounds so friggin' lame, too, because that, in a sense, takes a lifetime. I know. (laughs) But, well, maybe better said, like, be okay with who you are. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe it is, you know, own who you are. You know, because... Genuine indie. Yeah. Authenticity, maybe. Just authenticity. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's okay to tweak things. Well, you got to tweak things because, you know, don't mm-hmm. keep doing things that aren't successful for you, right? But I think it's just being okay with who you are, um, you know, figure out what you need to be able to function in the world because ultimately it's up to you to be a functional person. No one else can do that for you. Right. And that does mean some pragmatics in life. Like, you got to figure out how to be financially independent. you got to figure out how to be emotionally stable. And some, as we also discussed earlier, not everyone is born equal with those brain chemistry assets, right? Right. So it's everyone's responsibility to figure out what they need to be functional in the world. That's wonderful advice. (laughs) Do you have any favorite piece of music? Or what are you listening to right now? Oh, gosh. Oh, you know, ask on a different day or a different Mm -hmm. year. So, going a little bit existential right now, what, I think my favorite song right now even, isn't that funny? And I, as you know, because I'm a music person, it can go all over the map. Right. 
But if you, if I were to choose one song right now that's just connecting with me a lot, it's Sarah Sleen, You're Not Alone. And it's just so represents the sense of what the spiritual world is to me. Um, it Anyway. It's yeah. just a good song for you. Yeah, just go have a listen. I yeah. will listen. I'm very curious now. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to leave the listeners before we sign off? Um, no, I think I'd just like to congratulate you on your oh, well, working you. on your blog. And it's always interesting just to have a disarming chat with someone, right? Because I know, you, I learned a lot. You just never yeah. know where people are going to go. Yeah. I have this girlfriend group, and we, although we've known each other for like 30 years, we're going to start in, in our regular get-togethers focusing on one person because there's big <gasps> gaps in everyone's wow. history that we have no idea about. What a great idea. Then unless you sort of sit down and just start to talk to someone at length or, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the dynamic would be that, you know, of course we're all drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But like everyone can ask questions. Yeah, know, no. It'll be interesting. Yeah. That you, sounds like so much fun. Yeah, you just never know. Oh, I have great lady groups. That's Put on sure. the hot seat. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me mm-hmm. and talking to me. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, again, any comments, feedbacks, if you want to subscribe, please do so. And I will see you around next time.